0: Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood, and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more. And maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax. And I'm gonna tell you a story. Howdy, hello, friends and neighbors. It's Michael Kingswood, and it's time for stories. Yay! Um, been a good week around here in the Kingswood abode. Uh, went on a business trip. <laughs> got back from the family trip and went on a business trip for a few days. But hey, that's all good. And uh, got back and just been kind of chilling. And now talking to you, so it's uh, time to get rolling. Um, last week we got through chapter ten of *Gloomer Vale*, and holy smokes, third of the way down the book, and hopefully liking it. Got introduced to pretty much all the main players, and uh, now time to get into uh, what the plan is, and we'll see uh, how our how our boys and girl uh, go and try to take down the bad guys. Uh, not gonna do too much more as a segue here. Uh, we'll go straight back into it in chapter 11, and hopefully you enjoy it. Talk to you on the flip side.
1: Chapter 11. The Plan. That is the stupidest plan I've ever heard. There was never any mystery where Constable Mallory stood on an issue, that much was certain. Not that Julian necessarily disagreed on this particular point, but as far as he and Radric could tell after talking it over all afternoon, there was no other way to go if they wanted to find out more information about the brigands. What's so stupid about it? Julian almost snorted out a laugh at Radric's reply. He knew the plan's flaws exactly. Hell, he was the one who envisioned the basic premise of the plan in the first place. Constable Mallory looked at Radric as if he were daft. You want me to just release the man who attacked you, give him back his arms and equipment, and let him go back to his friends? Why, so he can wreak more havoc out there? They were talking in one of the booths in the Orlock. They had picked one near the corner of the room, as far from the other patrons as possible. It wasn't that he didn't trust his fellow townsfolk, Mallory had said. It was just that secrets get more difficult to keep up as more people learn them. So they kept a close but unobtrusive watch on the other patrons to ensure they weren't discussing sensitive topics in the open. Radric shook his head as he responded to Constable Mallory's question. It wouldn't be some charity project. He's leverage. Damn right he's leverage. And that's wasted if he makes it back safely and lets his boss know what pushovers we are. Actually, Julian added, that's what we want. The easier they think the target is, the less likely they'll expend a lot of resources to keep the pressure on. Why bother risking it if we're just going to fold anyway? Near as I can tell, Fazel's pretty confident as it is. True, but if we're so scared of him that we release one of his men and make an example of the two guys who injured him and killed his companions... Constable Mallory snorted again. What, you want me to whip you or something? Raedrick shook his head. Not for real, but you can put on a show of punishment or something. Then you release him and he rides out of town feeling smug and superior. And then we follow him back to his base camp, Julian added. Constable Mallory nodded slowly. I understand, but it's still a dumb plan. Julian opened his mouth to reply and so did Raedric, but the constable cut them off. There are too many things that can go wrong. And then we'll be without a prisoner and Fossil will think we're cowardly and incompetent. So what would you do with him? Asked Raedric. Have a nice show trial and then hang him. Leave his head on a pike where Farzal's sure to find him and negotiate from a position of perceived strength. Now that was stupid. If you consider Farzal riding into town with his whole gang in a towering fury to be negotiating from a position of strength, who am I to dissuade you? Constable Mallory looked taken aback for a moment. Then he flushed and nodded, the wind leaving his sails noticeably. Hmm, maybe that wouldn't be the best idea after all. So we're a go then. When are you going to release him? The constable sighed and shook his head. Tomorrow, I suppose. The mayor's not going to like this at all. With that, he slid out of the booth and stood up. He took a step away, then looked back over his shoulder at the two men. This better work. This is just the first move in the game, Lucian. Trust us. Julian had to hand it to him. Radric could be smooth and reassuring when he needed to. Constable Mallory sniffed, but Julian noticed he cracked a smile as he turned again and walked out of the inn. The door swung shut behind the constable, and Radric looked quizzically at Julian. Okay, you want to tell me how we're going to follow this guy across the grassland around here without him or his teammates noticing? I've been thinking about that. I hope so, because I have also, and I'm not coming up with anything. That's what we have Melanie for. Radric's expression was almost comic in its lack of comprehension. Melanie met them shortly before noon the next day on the outskirts of town. She was dressed down from when Julian last saw her. Her dress was simple enough to pass unnoticed in most situations, but a closer look revealed that it was divided for riding and was made from the finest material. It also accentuated her curves in a very pleasing way as she walked toward them. I wouldn't go there if I were you. Julian glanced sideways to see Radric giving him a knowing look. What do you mean? I know that look. She's not someone you want to go down that road with. Yes, yes, we're in business together. That's not what I mean. Julian didn't answer for a short while. He knew exactly what Radric meant, and pretty much agreed. That didn't mean he wanted to admit Radric was right. Finally, as Melanie reached their side, he said, I know. What do you know, Bumpkin? Melanie asked, looking curiously between the two men. Irritation welled up within him. Bumpkin? He almost told her off and to hell with the plan. Almost. Instead, he took a deep breath to calm himself, and replied, This is a big risk. If your trick doesn't work, it will as long as you don't screw it up. So you better do exactly what I tell you to. Radric cleared his throat. <clears> throat. Okay, are you going to explain what this master plan is now? Julian laughed, both at Radric's words and at the incredulous expression on Melanie's face. Really? You haven't figured it out yet? Radric shook his head. I thought you said he was clever. Melanie quipped to Julian, receiving a shrug in return. Rolling her eyes, she addressed Radric and spoke very slowly. I'm going to use the same spell that I used to get away from the merchant caravan when it was attacked. The spell makes it very difficult for someone to notice a thing unless the person knows exactly what to look for and where to look for it. You're going to make us invisible. She shook her head. That's actually impossible. It is more of a suggestion to the mind that encourages people to not notice or pay attention to what they see. Radric whistled softly. That's a neat trick. How long does it last? Melanie shrugged. That depends on the spellcaster and what she puts into it. Anywhere from a few minutes to several hours. Both Julian and Raedric opened their mouths to reply. That was not going to work. But she raised a calming hand and added, But I will use the extended incantations and the strongest components in this casting. That typically gets me six to eight hours' effect. That should be enough, Julian said. I hope, Raedric added. Glancing up at the sun, he moved his lips for a moment. Julian suppressed another chuckle. He would bet good money Radric was doing sums. He always had trouble with numbers, even the simple formulas used to convert the sun's angle in the sky to the time of day. Finally, Radric nodded to himself and said, Mallory should be releasing our prisoner in a few minutes. We'd better get a move on. Melanie nodded and, opening her satchel, withdrew a large leather-bound tome and a stoppered jar made from opaque glass. She placed the jar carefully on the ground and opened the tome. After leafing through it for a short time, she tapped her index finger on one particular page and nodded in satisfaction. Here it is. What do we do? Julian asked. Stay right there and don't move until I tell you. Melanie replied absently as her eyes scanned the page. After a moment, she closed the book and deposited it back into her satchel, then picked up the jar again. Slowly, carefully, she worked the cork until, with a soft pop, it pulled free. Then she closed her eyes and stood still for a time, the jar pressed to her chest, as she breathed in and out in long, slow breaths. She began chanting softly. It was almost too quiet to hear at first, but quickly her chant became louder until she reached her normal speech level. Then her eyes opened, and she began to move. It was as if she was dancing with an invisible partner. Her feet landed in precisely chosen places as she turned a circle in front of them. Her chanting continued, becoming more rhythmic in time with her footsteps. She turned a circle again and her voice became louder. As she turned to face the men, one at a time, she reached into the jar and cast part of its contents into the air above their heads and those of their horses. Dust of some sort, sparkling in the sunlight from small reflective pieces that were ingrained into it, puffed around them and gradually settled onto their heads, shoulders, and torsos. Julian had to forcibly restrain the urge to dust himself off. Next to him, it looked like Radric was desperately trying to hold back a sneeze. All at once, Melanie's chanting reached a loud climax. Then she stopped and once again clutched the jar to her chest. It is done, she said in a somber, dramatic tone. That's it? Julian asked. I don't feel any different. You don't look any different either. More's the pity, Raidrick quipped. Melanie rolled her eyes as she re-stoppered the jar. Of course he doesn't, she said. You're both under the spell, so you'll see each other normally. Other people, though. She shook her head. I cast the spell, and I have to concentrate to notice you two. But even that might not work if I didn't know for certain that you were there. Believe me, you both are quite unnoticeable. With a pronounced smirk, she added. Which is, I suppose, not that big a change. With that, she replaced the jar into her satchel and turned away. Good luck. Try not to get killed. I don't know about you, Radric said after she walked out of earshot. But I've never been so inspired. Chapter Twelve, A Walk in the Grass. A quarter of an hour passed. Julian sat in his saddle next to his friend and tried not to grow impatient. The mayor and constable Mallory were supposed to have brought the prisoner out by now. Where were they? Just then he began to think maybe Melanie was right and the people in Lytleton were just a bunch of yokels. But then the sound of horse hoofs clopping on flagstone drew his eye. Three men, one of them leading a saddled horse, were walking down the main street toward where Julian and Radric waited. At last. They drew nearer, and their conversation slowly became audible. Terribly sorry about this. We cannot control what drifters who happen to pass through do. you understand? The mayor was good. He actually sounded nervous, terrified even. His voice dripped with sycophantic pleading. Julian hoped he was just acting. The brigand wore a deep scowl, but his eyes glittered with contemptuous amusement. Of course I understand, Mayor Brimley, but I can't guarantee Farzal will. Those two killed some of our brothers, and you gave them shelter here. That will cost you. But— The mayor wiped his brow as his eyes darted toward the brigand nervously. We didn't know. The brigand snorted and turned his back to the mayor. Holding out a commanding hand to Constable Mallory, he said, My horse? The constable's face was a storm cloud, but he handed over the reins without comment. The brigand smirked, a distinctly unpleasant sight considering the scabbed over scrapes on his cheek and chin the swelling around his eyes and nose, and the broken teeth in his mouth. In spite of the man's smile, Julian felt a certain satisfaction in seeing the results of his kick. The brigand mounted the horse and adjusted the reins. He took one last look at Mayor Brimley, who bobbed his head and wrung his hands nervously. "'You will remember to give Faisal our offer,' the brigand shrugged. "'I'll tell him. He'll say no, but I'll tell him.' "'That's all we can ask.' The brigand snorted again and dug his heels into the flanks of his horse. She surged forward into a canter and quickly carried her rider away out of earshot. Laid it on a bit thick, didn't you? Constable Mallory said, disapproval plain in his tone. I hate this. I hate it. The mayor mopped his brow again. You would think it was the height of summer as much as he was sweating. The mayor looked around, his frantic expression making it apparent he wasn't acting much at all. Where are they? They said they were going to follow at a distance and avoid being seen. They wouldn't wait right here for him. Julian grinned and exchanged glances with Radric. He hadn't doubted Melanie's word precisely, but it was nice to get confirmation that her spell had worked. Radric returned the grin and nodded toward the brigand, now several hundred yards away. They kicked their horses into a fast trot and set off after the fleeing man. The brigand slowed after a quarter mile or so. His horse could only canter so far, and it wasn't like she was a racehorse or battle-trained. Truth be told, Julian was surprised she went that far before having to walk. It was just as well, because he had no desire to waste his and Raedrick's horses to follow the thug. For the rest of the afternoon, they followed about a tenth of a mile behind the brigand as he rode south. From their position behind him, he appeared wary, looking behind himself every few minutes. Julian couldn't blame him. The mayor was clearly spooked, but Constable Mallory hadn't even tried to pretend to be scared. Considering the brigand's line of work, treachery was probably second nature to him, so Julian was sure he more than expected the constable to have some trap set. An hour after leaving town, they reached the fort across the east flow, near the burned-out farmhouse that had almost cost the brigand his life. The bastard didn't even give it a second glance. He did glance backwards again, though, while Julian and Radric were in the middle of their crossing. Stop! Radric cried. What? Why? The splashing. Son of a- Julian reined in, bringing his horse to a quick halt. He hated to leave his steed with his hooves in the flowing cold water for long, but Radric was right. Their invisibility, or whatever it was, that Melanie had bestowed probably would not conceal the splashes from their crossing. Were they blown already? The brigand stopped also, looking back over his shoulder for a long few minutes. It was impossible to see his expression from that distance, but Julian imagined he wore a mask of concentration as he studied the ford. A sudden chill went down Julian's spine. The swirling of the current around the horse's legs was probably distinctly visible as well. He was just about ready to kick his horse forward, certain that they had been spotted, when the brigand shrugged and turned around again, then nudged his horse into motion. Julian exhaled, letting out a breath that he didn't even realize he had been holding. "'Let's get going,' he said, and urged his horse forward. They quickly exited the ford and rode up to the burned-out farmhouse. "'We'd better stop,' Julian said, and rub down the horses. We don't want them getting cramps. Radric nodded. "'Not here, though. I don't want to look at this farm.' "'Me neither.' The brigand turned to the left, veering southeast toward the hills leading to the mountains. They followed and soon found themselves riding over a small hillock. In the miniature valley between it and the next rise, they stopped and dismounted. It took several minutes to dry the horse's legs and rub the circulation back into their feet. Julian grew more concerned by the minute as they worked. For one thing, the horse's lower legs were extremely cold. For another, the brigand was getting farther away every second, and in this hilly terrain it would be very easy to lose him. Finally, he and Radric determined they had done the best they could for their mounts and got moving again. They reached the top of the next rise and Julian breathed a curse. The brigand was nowhere to be seen. He's got to be here somewhere, Radric said in a concerned tone. Let's give him a minute, hope he climbs a hill. And so they sat, and sat. After ten minutes, there was still no sign of the brigand. Where was he? Could be he's sticking to the low areas between hills, Julian said. If that's true, we may never find him. Damn it. Let's head out and see. The next hilltop revealed more rolling hills ahead that gradually got larger as they ran up to the mountains that ringed the vale. But no brigand. They looked around carefully, then moved off again. The story was the same at the next rise as well. And the next. The sun was beginning to sink lower on the eastern horizon and the shadows grew longer. As they crested yet another rise with no sign of their quarry, Julian reined in his horse and turned to look at his friend. Well, what do you think? Redrick shook his head and made a gesture of hopelessness. We'll lose the light soon, and there's no way we'll find him then. He punched his thigh with a clenched fist. How the hell did we lose him? We'd better get back to town. I don't want to spend the night out here. It's bloody cold. Radric let out an extremely colorful curse, but he nodded in agreement. Without another word, they turned back and nudged their horses into a trot. With luck, they might make it back before full dark.
0: Well, that didn't work. Not a bad plan for for what it was, but uh, the whole the elements not wanting to cripple your horses thing kind of got in the way a little bit. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it could have been worse, I guess. Could have been you know, ambushed again or what have you. But still, clearly, it's back in the drawing board for our boys. But, but hey, at least they uh, know for a fact that uh, Melanie's uh, spells work now. That's a good thing. Um, yeah, so we'll just have to see what comes next. Obviously, it's not going to be quite as simple as they thought. But man, it never is. Wouldn't be a fun story if it was. Uh, so, yeah, I'll leave you guys uh, with that for this one. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, you know where to go to uh, get my stuff if you want to support a brother uh, by picking up a copy of the book or the audio book. Uh, You go to the website, SSN Storytelling is Best, or every other bookstore on the planet works from there, too. Um, Swing back next week. We'll continue on. And uh, tell all your friends and neighbors about it, and I'll talk to you next time. In the meantime, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual retailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.